Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. chapter 4 while you're turning there let me just say uh, on Sunday first of all we had a wonderful service on Sunday and I was blessed by brother Gillett and his ministry great preaching he mentioned at the beginning of that while he was going to read his scripture he says it if it be your custom to stand for the reading of the word You can do that. Now, there was confusion. Some people stood and some people didn't, which means that it is not a custom. We do not hold a biblical custom that you have to stand when you read the Word. The reason why we don't hold a biblical custom when we read the Word is because we read the Word a lot. We read the Word a lot. And for it to make sense... For me to, for it to be a custom that we have to follow when I read my text, then it would also mean that every scripture I use throughout my lesson, you would have to stand and read it while it was being read. So it is something that we do often that I might have you remain standing as I'm reading my text at the beginning of a message. It is something that we do. It is not something that we always do, nor is it something that we have to do. Does that make sense to everybody? All right? We definitely, and this did not happen to my knowledge, but let me just be preemptive. We definitely don't have any room to look down on someone because they don't stand when the word is being written or read, I should say. I don't stand the whole time I read the Bible every morning in my home while I'm reading it. Um, I definitely don't try to stand if I'm listening to the Bible being read in my car. That would be problematic. (laughs) So there there are churches that are definitely going to stand every time the preacher reads his opening text. They will always rise for the reading of the opening text. And that is perfectly fine and in order. And if you are in their church and everyone stands for the reading of the word, stand. You don't have to prove a point. We don't have to give them a lesson. Just stand. But if someone says something like he did, where if it be your custom, at least now you know what that is, okay? And frankly, you can stand if you want to stand. And if you don't want to stand, uh, you don't have to stand. I would just say, let's not make it a thing, all right? Let's let's not turn it into some sort of doctrine, all right? Amen. I didn't plan on saying that, but the reason it came to my mind was because I saw, on Sunday I saw it, and I thought, "Uh, that's probably confusing to some people. And then just now I came up here, And before I got to my text, you had all sat down already. And I thought, I'm just going to let them stay seated. Philippians 4, 4 through 6. This is my text, but there's probably 30 other scriptures I have tonight. 
So we could all get some exercise <laughs> by standing and sitting and standing and sitting. Four, four through six. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This, this jumped out at me as often God does that when he wants me to teach on something. So I want to teach tonight on this. Let your moderation be known. Let your moderation be known. Sandwiched between two more commonly known verses. Two verses that speak of our activity towards heaven. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And the one that speaks of prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. But it says to do those things unto God. Sandwiched between these two powerful scriptures common most a lot of Christians know these scriptures we are asked to make something known to all around us not toward heaven but towards the people around us to declare with more than just our words but with our lives this specific attribute that is mentioned in this verse but we know that there's no way for us to do this ostentatiously or in a, in a showy way or to get attention because that would negate the idea of moderation. And so we understand that we're supposed to be living this out before what it says before man, we're supposed to be living out this attribute of moderation. And that word moderation, as we're going to get into tonight, has kind of uh, the, the onion illustration of meaning. Meaning you, can, you get the first understanding of it, and then God shows you another understanding of it, and then he shows you another understanding of it. And it's all about maturity in Christ. So, but, but it's, it speaks on the surface level of a mildness or a gentleness. It's a restraint, if you will, on our passions. It's sober living. It's being free from excess. That's kind of a, a surface understanding of what it means to live in moderation. Now, even with that explanation, that level of definition, we can begin to see why Scripture calls us to it. We can begin to understand why Scripture would call Christians to live out moderation in front of the world around them because it is countercultural, and frankly, it always has been. Now, there are things that we believe and teach and do today that seem like they're countercultural now because of the culture we live in now. And so it's like, wow, that's countercultural. But this idea of living in moderation as the Bible teaches it, it's been countercultural from the moment it was given to humanity. It's been opposite of what the life around us is. And so, one commentator says it like this. 
The word properly means that which is fit or suitable. And then propriety, gentleness, mildness. They were to indulge in no excess of passion, no excess of dress, no excess of eating or drinking. They were to govern their appetites, restrain their temper, and to be examples of what was proper for people in view and this is the key we'll get to towards the end, in view of the expectation that the Lord would soon appear. So it's not just you need to restrain your appetites and your excesses and the way you present yourself and how you treat and act, but also doing it with an understanding that the Lord is soon to come or that the Lord is near. Somebody say amen. And so the word moderation is interesting to me because it's only found one time in this form in the King James Version Bible. However, the, the, the Greek word that is used for moderation is found five other times in Scripture. And I want to look at that, what that means. So what I meant by that is, is if you did a, a word study of moderation in King James, you're only going to find the one verse that we read tonight. But if you look up the Greek meaning of the word moderation that's used in that verse, you will find that same Greek word used other times in Scripture. And I want us to look at that, and I want us to kind of compile those times that it's used to build an understanding of what he's trying to tell us, what he's trying to teach us about how we're supposed to live. Everybody, everybody on board so far? We're all good? Amen. So one area that we find this word used is when it, the Bible speaks of the qualifications of an overseer in, in the church. The Bible uses the word bishop, and that word bishop is just one word amongst a lot of different titles that Scripture gives to different things. But the word bishop that is used is applied almost to any office of the church. It's not a top-tier title. It's applied to almost any office of the church, but it's especially to those who are leaders or are overseers of other people within the body of Christ. And it says this to us in 1 Timothy 3. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop... He desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." So this is the context by which we find this word moderation being applied. And it's, it's a call to Christian character is really what it is. It's a call to Christian character. It's telling us that there is an expectation. Everybody say expectation. It's saying that there is an expectation of behavior and lifestyle in the church. 
that the church is not supposed to be just a gathering of people who believe just the same doctrines, but they're a gathering of people who have given themselves to the same Christian lifestyle or are progressing in that direction of the Christian lifestyle. And so, and it's not just talking, to be clear, about church activity or when you are in the church building and doing church things, but it speaks also about the home, and it also speaks about their reputation in the community, which we heard in the text that we read. So it's calling us to a lifestyle that is representative of someone who has truly encountered Jesus Christ, who has been transformed by the renewing of their mind, who has been washed, been cleaned, been sanctified by the Holy Ghost, and is living a life of holiness and separation unto the Lord. And it's telling us in this, in all almost a job description form. That's the vibe I get when I read 1 Timothy 3, as if somebody was like, here's a job. You want to know what a job description is? If you want to be an overseer in the church, here, you need to, (laughs) this is the list, right? You need to be these things. And so, uh, so we put great value on it in verse 3, is where we get, where it speaks, specifically speaks of this word moderation, where it says, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. In those words, we find this word moderation that we first read in Philippians 4. Now, what is it it's telling us that we understand on the surface level? This is a person who is not ruled by or driven by excessiveness, okay? They are not being controlled by substance. They are not being driven by things that are not righteous. They are not controlled by their fleshly behaviors, uh, whether it be alcohol that mentions, fighting it mentions, greed it mentions, argumentative, or a lover of money. And these are, this is not an all-inclusive list. This is the idea of moderation, as we're going to get to as we go a little further here, is understanding that the laws of God were put there for a reason, and that we are supposed to follow the laws of God, but we're supposed to follow the laws because we understand the spirit of the law. Because we understand why it's a law. And because God made it a law, and therefore I, being filled with the Spirit of God, want to align myself with his law. Not just because the church said so. Amen? And so it speaks here about these different attributes that could get a hold of someone these excessivenesses that could, could really mess with someone's life. Of course, we understand when it talks about alcohol. We understand when it talks about uh, you know, people who are driven by anger to fight. We understand greed, and, and we probably understand argumentative a little less, but we maybe need to learn a little bit more about that. Amen. And a lover of money. We can kind of get that. Like, we can see how that can be a problem. And so, uh, this is building now for us an understanding of what it means to live our lives in moderation so that everyone sees that moderation. Another place we find this use of the word moderation is in Titus 3 and 2. It says, to speak evil of no man, 
to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Somebody say all men. Now, this is an interesting verse because it's speaking to the natural disposition to, to rebellion that some of the Jews lived in that time under Roman rule. Because they were living in the Roman Empire and they were living under Roman rule, and there was a lot of them, a lot of Romans that lived in Crete, a lot of Jews that lived in Crete, and so there was this kind of a disposition of the Jewish people uh, towards rebellion, towards, towards riot, towards pushback against these oppressive Roman uh, authority that they were subjected to. And so this is interesting because it's speaking to that context and it's speaking to them and it's saying that they, that they might lead, uh, that this might help them to uh, practically live out a Christian principle, which was to be submitted to the powers that be. He's using the idea of moderation to tell these people who are prone to rebellion and riot because they don't like the oppression that they're under. He's teaching them to say that moderation is to live under subjection to the powers that be. Now, we don't, we don't even like that right now. We think he's talking about Jews in Crete, and we're like, I don't like that. These people in power and authority, you know. So that's why, that's why it matters. So we see here that we are, that, that he is speaking of a call of Scripture, once again to be countercultural. That Christians were called to live as best as they could in submission to the powers that be. Not in an appeasement of those in power but as an example of Christianity and to be a light in the darkness. To be an example of Christianity and to also not be so consumed with a rebellious spirit against the human powers that I am missing the spirit of God in what he is trying to do. Amen? And so it wasn't about agreement or support of people who would abuse power, but it was a noticeable example. Everybody say noticeable. It was a noticeable. Show your moderation. Let your moderation be known among men. It was a noticeable example of a life lived for something more than just here and now. It was him trying to say, look, you're Christians. You're not living for this world. You're not living for this here. You're, you don't, you're not living. You're not trying to get your person on the throne. You're not trying to overrun the Romans and, and put your guy on the throne. That's not what we're doing here. We know that's not how this is going to end. We're living for something greater than that. We're living for heaven. Amen. Amen. We're living for heaven. And so we need to understand that so that we're not consumed by this spirit that says, I have to throw off my oppressors. And I have to focus all of my attention on the loud oppression of my society. Now, the context matters. 
The context of Titus 3 and 2 other, is important. Otherwise, some would simply kind of just discount this verse and refuse it and just be like, well, you know, I, I, I'm not going to do that. But let's read Titus 3, 1 through 7. It says, put them in mind. Bring them to remembrance. Tell them to think about this. To be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we, somebody say we. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. Oh, once you read the context, it starts, to, it starts to hit you a little bit. We were also sometimes foolish and disobedient and deceived and serving diverse lusts and pleasures and living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. Oh, that, that's right. We also did some of these things that we don't like, that we, we despise about them, that angers us that they do. We also did some of these things. He says... But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared. It's like when we were living that way, something happened. Something appeared to us. We saw something, right? It appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through, and how, what, what did they see? Jesus Christ is what they saw. That was what they saw. That was what they witnessed. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's asking us for moderation in our lifestyle because we didn't always have moderation in our lifestyle. He's saying, I want you to live differently than you used to live. And I want you to remember, after you quit living like that, and now you're living like a Christian, I want you to remember that the way you feel about some of the things they're doing is the same way someone else felt when you did it. I want you to remember there was a time in your family tree when things that you know now are unrighteous and sinful and unholy were some of the things you enjoyed the most about your life. I want you to remember that, you know, that happened. And so he says that. It reminds us, of course, of these challenging verses in 1 Corinthians 6. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. That's right. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And we say amen. amen. They're not going to get to go to heaven if they do that. But of course, the next verse says, what does it say? Oh, yeah. That's right. And such were some of you. But you're washed. You're sanctified. We didn't do that to ourselves. I could not wash myself of my sin. I could not sanctify myself. 
You are justified. I cannot justify myself. How did that happen? It happened in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So he's saying, live your life in moderation because you didn't used to live your life in moderation, and I need you to be something people can see that represents Jesus. I need you. You saw Jesus and when you saw Jesus, then you, you realized there was something better. You could live a different way. You watched him. It was illustrative. His lifestyle taught you some things, and it, caused, it called you to change the way you were. Now be that same thing to someone else. Amen. That's why the church never benefits from trying to camouflage itself in the world. It's why the church never benefits from that, because it's, the, it's totally opposite of what he's calling us to do. Now, the next verse that speaks of moderation comes after several verses on taming the tongue. So if you, you need that, you can go to James and you can read those verses. And then it is under the heading of Wisdom from above. How many are thankful we can have wisdom from above? James 3, 13 through 18. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Let him show his works. How? With meekness. Right? With meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly. It's sensual. It's devilish. That stuff doesn't come from God. If that's how you think and act, that's not coming from God. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Somebody say pure. pure. And then it's peaceable and it's gentle and is easy to be entreated and it's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. There is a wisdom in our words and in our actions that show moderation. When we act and speak in moderation, that is a wise thing to do. And it's a wisdom that you are not going to find in the world. It's a wisdom from above. And the lack of this wisdom the lack of a moderation in life is where it says confusion and every evil work are born. I want you to think about that for a second. Confusion and every evil work are birthed where there is a lack of moderation, where there is a lack of this wisdom from above, of how to be and how to live amongst people. 
It brings, it's, it's, a, it's a breeding ground of confusion in every evil work. Now, we are listed with those people of peace who aren't just people of peace, but people who make peace. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, make peace. Make peace. Amen. Make peace. Jesus put this level of value on it in Matthew 5 and 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, I was going to take time in this study to go through the context of where we find blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, because it's in all of the blessed be, blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. But it's interesting because this one, amongst all the other ones, is, is, is less about what I'm going to receive because of what I do or what I'm going to have someday because of what I do, but it's about how others are going to perceive me. It's a very interesting thing. Blessed are the peacemakers because they shall be called the children of God. People are going to see them and associate them with the children of God. Why? Because they're peacemakers. Because they're peacemakers. And peacemaking, in the context of this verse of Scripture, is part of how I live my life in moderation. A person who lives their life in moderation is a peacemaker, will be a peacemaker. And a peacemaker is something people can see. It's how I live my life in moderation, it's how I let my, it be known, my moderation be known upon, uh, to, to men is one of those ways just by being a peacemaker. So you start to think of the value now. I want to remind, let me pause here for a second. And let me just refresh our understanding of what it means to witness and be a witness. Because I think sometimes we mistakenly bring, being a witness, ye shall be witnesses of me, we, we, we boil that down to one thing, and that is when I open my mouth and I say, will you come to church with me? Then that, I was a witness today. I invited someone to church. And that is part of being a witness. I'm not downplaying that. But we need maybe a little bit of a renewal of our lives as witness my behavior as witness, my actions as witness. Does everybody understand what I'm trying to say? We need maybe just a little bit of a refreshing that perhaps the words, will you come to church with me or would you like a Bible study, maybe those words are better received if they've already seen in me some things, if they've already seen in me a life that is different, if they've already seen in me a life that is separated, if they have already felt in my presence peace, that they knew that I was not someone who was given to angry outbursts or I wasn't addicted to alcohol or I wasn't a striker. I didn't like to fight people all the time, right? That they knew that I wasn't living my life in excessiveness and I wasn't, I had not been brought under 
control of anything. And they looked at me and they realized something is different. And then they see that. They feel that. And then I say, would you like to get together sometime and look at the Bible and talk about some stuff? So when we're talking about moderation, we're now getting down into the onion a little bit now. When we're talking about moderation, we need to understand once again, this is not some checkbox, this is not some box to check on the list of rules that the church has. It's about my relationship with God. It's about my call to Christ-likeness. It's about my witness in the world. It's about my light in the darkness. Amen? It's not just about the law. It's about the spirit of the law. It's about doing the law, yes. Follow the commandment, yes. But know the spirit of the commandment. Know the spirit of the law. Know what he was and is trying to get us to do. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the ability to make peace didn't fully exist until Jesus exemplified it to us and empowered us to do it. He was the illustration on earth and his spirit in us, somebody say in us, his spirit in us is what gives us the ability to make peace at all. Our flesh of its own is not a peacemaker. Our humanity left to its own is not a peacemaker. It does not come naturally to our humanity, to sinful nature, to be a peacemaker. This, my friends, is why we struggle with this all the time. It's why our leaders struggle with it. It's why countries are struggling with it. It's why we've lived my entire life, and those of you that are older than me, most of your entire lives, with this peace in the Middle East, and who's going who's gonna to come in the peace accords and the peace plan and meet at Camp David and take a photo up, and they're going to shake hands, and now there's peace in the Middle East. Oh, Wait. But there's not. Because making peace does not come naturally to our humanity and our sinful nature. But Jesus comes. God robes himself in flesh, dwells among us, and lives among us so that we can physically watch and listen to him be a peacemaker in difficult and trying times. And then he, after being our example, says, I must go away because I have been with you, but I shall be in you. I need to empower you to be peacemakers. I need to empower you to be a light. I need to empower you on how to say the right thing and act the right way, even in the face of opposition and counterculturally. I want to give you the ability to do this. It's a wisdom that is not of this world, but it's of God. And it's a wisdom that once again sets his church apart. And when people see it, it gives glory to God. When people see 
your good works, they give glory to God. That's moderation. Now, the final verse is found in the context of submission to authority in 1 Peter 2. Let's, let's, let's peel some more layers a little bit. For verses 15 through 21 of 1 Peter 2. For so is the will of God. This is the will of God. That with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Don't, don't, don't use your liberty your freedom for a cloak of maliciousness, but as a servant. Use freedom as, your, as a servant to make yourself a servant. Choose to be a servant. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Ugh. I was with them there. I was with them. Honor men, okay, love the brotherhood, good fear of God. Honor the king, okay. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, not only to the people you serve that are nice to you, not only the boss that loves you and smiles when you show up, but also the froward. For this is thankworthy. There's a couple words we don't use very often, froward and thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered. For who? For us. Leaving us as a what? An example that you should follow his steps. So once again, we are challenged with the idea of being subject to other people. We're challenged to the idea that there might be people in authority over us and they might not always do everything the right way. They may not believe what you believe. They might not like you for some reason. They might have oppress you in some way. We're being challenged with this and it's not just all others. I mean, it's not just others, but even those who would be forward or perverse and crooked is what that word means, by the way. Someone in authority over you who is perverse and crooked. See, you get this. By now, you're peeling this onion and you're just crying. You're just, this is painful. I got to do what now? I got to be subject to this? Why? Now, Notice. It is in the enduring of things done to us wrongfully that we show forth that we have learned from our example, which is Jesus. The only way I ever actually know if I've learned that I can, that I can turn the other cheek 
is if somebody slaps me on the face. I don't know if I fully learned it. I don't know if I fully learned from my example, Jesus, of how to be buffeted. That's what it said. Right? How to be attacked, how to be maligned, how to be talked bad about. I don't know if I've learned how to do that until it happens. And I'm going to tell you this. I sure hope I passed that test the first time. Because I don't want to retake it. But the honest truth is this. We live in this world. In this humanity. And so it's probably going to happen again. Jesus didn't say, hey, you might get through life without offense. He said, offenses will come. Will come. One of the reasons why I really never rode motorcycles is because every motorcycle person I ever talked to said, it's not if you're going to crash, it's when you're going to crash. I don't, I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. Like, I would like to have a guarantee of some sort. I don't want to just wait around to crash. And then, can I crash on purpose, you know? Get it out of the way? Can I, can I do like a planned crash? And, and then be like, all right, I had my crash. No, you don't get to do that. No, you're gonna hit. You're gonna hit a, a wet patch. You're gonna take a curve too much. The gravel's gonna get something's going. To, offenses will come. People are going to wrongfully do things to you. People are going to oppress you. You are going to have a teacher who doesn't like you in school. Can I get an amen from somebody? Yes. I hope the teenagers also heard the adults amening. I'm sorry your teacher doesn't like you, but you know what? We all had a teacher that didn't like us. I actually had a teacher kicked out one time. Did I ever tell you that story? She physically assaulted me. Now, legitimately, it was just, you know, two fingers hard into my chest and knocked me, knocked me down, but I was a lot smaller back then. Wasn't the big strong man that I am now. But she, she physically hit me and knocked me in my chair. And then the principal found out about it and escorted her out of the building. And you know what? You tell that story to some of the elders and they look at you like, you big baby. Because <laughs> when, when I was a young kid in school, my, my youngest I can remember, the principal had a paddle in the thing, and it was right there for you to see. But even, you know, I'm not that old. So you had to have, your parents had to give permission for them to do that. But you talk to people a little bit older, there was no permission needed. They just paddled away. And if you went to Catholic school, God help you. <laughs> Man. You don't think the, the church school would be the worst one. But anyway, what are we talking about? Moderation. 
You're going to have someone who doesn't like you, who treats you wrong. You're going to have somebody who's going to do something that they shouldn't do that's not right. You're going to say, that's not right. They shouldn't behave that way. And you're right. But guess what? It happens. Why? Why does it happen? Because that's what sinful nature does. That's what flesh does without God. That's what people do who are hurt and bitter and angry and they live their lives frustrated. That's what people do who have no purpose and no value and they don't know what they're doing and they don't know why they're even here. That's what people do who are raised in abusive homes and who are maligned and beaten. That's what people do who are abandoned. That's what people do. But Jesus taught us something different. And we're supposed to live like him. Which means if they slap you on one side of the face, you turn the other side of the face. Which means if they ask you for your coat, you give them your cloak too. If they say go a mile, you go two. It means that you understand that how I live my life, even when I'm being oppressed, maligned, attacked, how I do that in that moment is how I show my moderation. It's how I live my life in a way that shows Christ to them. Amen. That's how, it's how it shows Christ. 1 Peter 2, 21, come to end. For when, for even hereunto were you called. This is the continuation of what we just read about all that stuff. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who is his own self bear our sins? Once again, once again, we're not talking about other people. We're not just talking about all those people, those sinner people. We're, we're talking about who we, we used to be, who bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. By whose stripes ye were healed. Suddenly, the understanding of those few, verse, those few words makes it so much more now. By whose stripes ye are healed. We're healed. It's not just about I'm sick and I need to be prayed for. I was, I was healed from my, my anger. I was healed from my excessive living. I was healed from my wanting to fight everybody. I was healed from my, my addiction. I was healed. You see what he's saying? He was like, we were all of those things. But because he became our example and because of the cross, we have the ability to not be those things anymore. And if we're not going to be those things, 
then we should be what we're supposed to be, which is to be an example of Jesus Christ, who was an example for us. We're supposed to be an example for others that being dead to sin shall live under righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. So we learn this moderation from Jesus we learn it from Jesus, and once again, we are reminded if that, that if not for Jesus, we would be lost. Somebody say amen. amen. We were once, she said, well, preacher, pastor, this is hard. This is hard. Yes, it is hard. It is hard. We are called to do hard things. Christians are called to do hard, challenging, difficult things. We live in a provoking world that is full of things that can cause disagreement, full of things that can cause argumentation, and the tricks and the manipulations of others can make us want to just hide away somewhere. They can, we, we become cynical and we become hard, and we become unattached from our world, and life becomes some sort of game that we don't want to show our hand to anyone because we're afraid that the, the wicked will take advantage of us in some way. But that's not what Jesus did. He put himself into the world of sinful man and lived out moderation in front of us. He lived it out in front of us. He showed us how to do it. And by God's design, there are laws, there are commandments, there are rules for our behavior. By God's design, there are expectations. If we want to be a part of the bride, there are expectations, as we talked about at the beginning, if we want to be in leadership, if we want to be used of God, if we want to be an overseer of people, there are biblical God-given expectations, amen, and we understand that. But Jesus was trying to get them to live out the spirit of these laws. He didn't want them to live for God because there was a list of laws. He wanted them to understand why his laws existed in the first place. And the spirit of the law helped them to better line their lives up with Christ. It was the right way to show Christ to a rebellious world. Live this way, he said, and that's the right way to show Christ to the world that we're living. Let's stand together. In a minute, we're going to come up and pray if, if you want to be prayed for. Whoever our prayer team is for tonight, they can come and position themselves if you want to be prayed for. for Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.